This is the American Association of Orthodontists, The Business of Orthodontics podcast, episode 10. Welcome. I'm Pam Paladin here with Kevin Dillard, the AAO's general counsel. Welcome, Kevin. Hi, Pam. In our first segment, Kevin will speak to the importance of selecting an attorney for your practice and how to go about it. And in our second segment, Kevin will explain what you can do in the event of a belligerent patient or parent and your best course of action if a patient is trying to tell you, the orthodontist, how to treat them. Kevin, let's start first with the concept of of an attorney for your practice. Why should anyone really have an attorney for their practice? Is it really that important? Is it a good idea? It is absolutely a good idea. Any orthodontist, particularly those who own their own practice or who are in partnership with uh, one or more other orthodontists are basically running a small business and they're going to face all of the issues that any small business is going to face. It could run the gamut from tax issues to personnel management to um, even land lease uh, real estate law, not to mention contract and general preventative law to make sure that you don't get into problem with antitrust as it relates to insurance contracts or communications with other providers. So it's absolutely, it's, it's at some point in an orthodontist career, Usually sooner rather than later, it will be necessary for them to engage an attorney. And sooner is better than later? Sooner is absolutely better than later. As a matter of fact, it brings up the question of when do you find an attorney? And, and the answer to that question is the best time to find an attorney is before you need one. Because if you are not under duress and if you're not under threat of a lawsuit or you don't have a pending question that you need answered now... You have the luxury of interviewing several candidates, making sure that you have good rapport, making sure that the attorney that you select has a complete and comprehensive understanding of what you do and how your business operates, and even your method of communication. That's all important is teamwork. Just like it's important for an orthodontist to have good communication with a parent or patient, it's extremely important for an orthodontist to have good rapport and good communication with their attorney. Does the attorney need to be especially familiar with the the rules and regs of the state dental board? Ideally, yes, but really most attorneys, and in this context, an orthodontist, if you're going to go looking for uh, the kind of an attorney for your general business needs, could be your malpractice attorney if you've worked with one before, but typically you're going to look for more of a general business attorney. And in most mid to larger cities, you'll find general business attorneys with an expertise or a particular interest in medicine or dental offices, even orthodontic offices in some very large uh, cities. They'll have that specialization. But generally speaking, any attorney, any general business attorney that you feel comfortable with will be able to get up to speed on dental board regulations fairly quickly. So yes, it's certainly a, a head start if they're familiar with it going into it, but most can catch up fairly easily. So when you're selecting an attorney, what if you have a a family member, a brother-in-law, who Mm. says he or she can help you out, or or someone who's a paralegal? (laughs) Don't do it. You're shaking your head. (laughs) Don't do it. There needs to be a level of professional separation between you and your attorney. And I know this sounds really cynical, but anytime you engage an attorney, just like anytime you engage any other professional service in your practice, there's going to be a chance that you're going to have to sue them. The attorney? The attorney. You sue them for malpractice. If they if they do something, if they mess something up and cost you a lot of money, a lot of patience, your reputation, if it's their fault, you sue them. Uh, attorneys carry malpractice coverage for that reason. And if your brother-in-law is acting as your attorney or your daughter who just graduated law school and you think you can cut a corner and save a few bucks by hiring them, 
maybe, maybe, maybe in some cases that's a good idea when it's a relatively, when it's a really low stakes issue, a, a demand letter to a patient or something like that, that is probably not going to end up in a, in a large lawsuit. But any, anything else other than just trivial matters, hire a professional that you could someday have to sue and not feel regret or feel guilt over doing it. Where do you find an attorney? Check, you know, I, I tell people when they, when they call and ask that, um, and I tell them more often than not, you're going to have to find a, an attorney license in your state, and they say, well, where do I start? Start with other orthodontists. Uh, see if there are any referrals. People have worked with um, orthodontists in the past, study clubs, things like that. Um, you know, generally there are, and if you don't have any referrals, and, and you kind of have to go cold on it, hopefully, again, you have the time and lu the luxury of time of being able to, to sift through maybe five or six attorneys that you feel comfortable with. There's always the, the question of, do I go with a big firm? Do I go with a mid-sized firm? Or do I go with a solo or, or boutique practice? And each one of those has its own advantages and disadvantages. Um, and, and just briefly, the, the big law firm is probably going to cost a little bit more on an hourly rate. Uh, sometimes it will. The advantage is, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have uh, tax experts. They're going to have employee, um, employment law experts. They're going to have antitrust experts, insurance experts. So you may not work with one attorney all of the time. They may be able to uh, save you a little bit of time by going and in, in referring insurance questions to their insurance expert. Mid-sized firm, you know, is typically a little bit less, but you lose a little bit of the variety. And the solo practice is probably the cheapest option in general. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, they may not have the expertise or the ready expertise to go to somebody for, for, for very sp specific questions. Is it necessary to look for exclusivity for an attorney for your practice? Uh, for example, then would you, would you, is it advisable or customary to uh, find an attorney or a, a law practice and engage them uh, on a retainer basis mm -hmm. so that they're exclusively your attorney. That's a good idea. Ideally, the way the attorney selection process would work is that you find, um, you identify several attorneys that might, that might be a good fit. You sit down, you have lunch with them. They're, most of them are more than willing and not charge you for the initial interview just to sit down and say, um, this is my practice. This is my, you know, revenues. These are kind of the issues that I see coming up over the next couple of years and get a good rapport again with that attorney, make the final selection. And then they will probably ask you for a retainer. And that's good because, you know, retainer, some, some attorneys, it's no more than $250. Some ask for a couple thousand, but what that does is give you exclusivity. And it's also not money lost. Lawyers in all 50 states cannot ethically accept money for services that they do not provide. So the retainer is simply a down payment on future needs. And if you don't need them or if there's a falling out and, you, and you've paid a, a $2,000 retainer and for some reason it doesn't work out, they don't return your emails quick enough or something like that, and you want to fire them, then you fire them and you get the portion of the retainer back that you haven't used in their time. And also, I think you, you touch up on the point, it's exclusivity. You're also conflicting them out. So another orthodontist or another dental provider or a patient can't hire those people to then advocate against you. They are your attorney at that point. What about fees? You talked a little bit about a retainer. And I would, I would have thought, Kevin, that a retainer was something that you'd pay monthly. It sounds like this is something you pay up front. 
could be. Okay. Uh, you know, it depends upon your needs. If, if you're if you're in the middle of a lawsuit and you are, you know, racking up a, a large amount of legal fees, they could say we need a monthly payment on the fees or a monthly retainer. Most, if it's if if it's a normal orthodontic practice where you you're facing maybe a legal issue where a letter has to be written or you're you're faced with a lawsuit or something like that once every six months, two years, then it's just an upfront retainer until you run through that retainer. Then they may want another down payment. Good to know. What about negotiation for fees? Is that um, is that done? Absolutely it is. Just like you negotiate with uh, patients and parents who may be able to not afford your full fee, it, it's a tight market out there. And a lot of lawyers uh, would, would be happy to negotiate with you. It's not their final offer when they say my hourly fee is, you know, $275 or whatever it is. It is not uncommon, and they are going to expect you to say, you know, look, I'm, I'm, we're looking at a long-term relationship here. Can I get a concession on the fees? If you don't give a concession on the fees, what about a little bit of time? Maybe throw in a, a free demand letter uh, here or there. The demand letters don't take that much time. They're probably one of the more common legal services that an orthodontist will use on a month-to-month basis with, you know, whatever the case may be. Maybe a patient who is behind on their bills. Maybe a patient who is being belligerent in the office, which we'll talk a little bit more about in the next segment. Could be any number of things. Uh, typically, don't take much time, and lawyers are maybe happy to to negotiate. If not their total fee, then maybe a few free services. Great. And bartering. What about bartering? I wouldn't do it. I, I hear from some who say, some orthodontists who say, well, I, I knock off some legal fees by agreeing to treat their children for free. Rarely is that a good idea, and and the reason for that is, and I think we've talked about this in in previous podcasts. Anytime you lose control of your patient selection, it's a bad idea. So if you barter that away and, and, the, and the children of the attorney comes in or the, the wife or the spouse, the husband of the attorney comes in and they're not a candidate for orthodontic treatment, then, then what do you do? Do you feel pressure if they're trying to direct your treatment? So it's just it's not a good idea. Keep it professional. Keep it uh, a fee for services. You mentioned, uh, just as an, by example, an hourly fee of $275. Is, that, is there a range of fees that should be mm-hmm. considered? Yeah, just like orthodontic fees, there's a range. It depends upon the city. It depends upon the experience of the attorney. It depends upon the issue. Typically, any, anywhere between 150 and probably on the upper end of the average range, four to $500 is, is what you might expect to pay in most cities. For, for new graduates, obviously on the lower end of that scale. And it will be hourly? Depending on the issue, if you're engaged in a lawsuit and you wait until you're in a lawsuit, then, you know, it could be a contingency basis. Uh, they may take a percent of what you you get in the lawsuit if you're suing somebody for, say, defamation or something like that. Uh, some may do on a project basis. So, that, I mean, those and those are the three general ways, you know, hourly, uh, on a project basis, or on a contingency basis. But if you, in the ideal sense, you sit down and, and you say, I, again, I want to engage in a long-term relationship for you to handle my general business legal needs. It, it will usually be on an hourly basis. You know, when, when we first started talking about this, I was thinking only of using an attorney for, you know, for example, if, if there were a, a malpractice suit or something. Mm-hmm. You really talked about a whole broad number of topics that attorneys are are helpful with for an orthodontic practice. So really, it would be probably a good thing for orthodontists to be consulting attorneys fairly regularly uh, throughout their practice years. 
anytime you think you might be facing a legal issue, it's a good idea to, to check with your attorney, hopefully if you have one on retainer. It, it's sort of like an oil change in a car. It, it may cost $50, $80 every three to 5,000 miles, but it's a lot cheaper than foregoing that, that $50 to $80 and waiting until the 12,000th mile when your car breaks down. Um, then it's a lot more expensive. So yes, I mean, usually, probably once every three months or so, an issue will come up where you will need some legal advice or some legal advice on something would be very helpful. From personnel management to to uh, lease issues to employment. If you're if you're a contract employee or a employee working for a dental service organization or something like that, you know, you're going to need to consult with an attorney on on any number of various issues. Well, Kevin, that pretty well wraps up uh, my questions regarding uh, an attorney for your orthodontic practice, or if you're an employee or an independent contractor. Uh, thanks very much for that. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, Kevin will fill us in on what you can do in the event of a belligerent patient or parent, and your best course of action if a patient is trying to tell you, the orthodontist, how to treat them. It's cool to do some things on your own, but when it comes to straightening your teeth, trying to do it yourself can cause serious damage and tooth loss. The American Association of Orthodontists wants everyone to know that moving teeth is a healthcare procedure. It needs the supervision of an expert. Orthodontists are experts in moving teeth and aligning jaws. They have two to three years of specialized education beyond dental school in an accredited orthodontic residency program. They make sure that your own smile is your best smile. For more, visit mylifemysmile.org. Welcome back to episode 10 of the Business of Orthodontics podcast. I'm Pam Paladin with Kevin Dillard, the AAO's general counsel, here to discuss dealing with difficult patients or parents and how to deal with a patient who's trying to tell you how to perform their treatment. All right, Kevin, so here is the scenario. The orthodontist has a belligerent patient or parent. They yell at the orthodontist, they yell at the staff, and pretty much every time they come to the office, they're creating a scene and disrupting the flow. What can the orthodontist do? Well, first of all, they need to document the behavior and get witnesses, even if it's other patients, uh, depending upon the severity of the belligerent behavior, get your staff who witnessed it to document the fact and present the documentation to the patient or the parent who's being belligerent and say, this is what we've witnessed today. Um, you can either sign this document as an acknowledgement or not, we don't care, but this behavior will stop. And if it doesn't stop, we are going to either terminate you at the very least, uh, terminate you as a patient, or we're going to call the police or the local authorities and have you escorted out of the building and file a police uh, complaint against your behavior. Just, I think the main idea here is to not tolerate such behavior. It seems like, it, well, it's, it's something that's going to happen a few times before you actually get to this point. Yeah, probably. I mean, it depend, again, it depends. I mean, you know, anecdotally, I've heard some stories where it, somebody snapped and somebody comes in and physically threatens the staff manager or physically threatens the orthodontist where there had been no previous behavioral issues. Um, you described as, you know, quiet parents or a quiet patient and, and something happened and they come in and they, they threaten physical violence. Um, physical violence, I think, is, is, is something that you just do not tolerate. And not only because, for obvious reasons, I mean, you don't want somebody who's threatening physical violence, but there's also a liability issue there, too. 
if you have somebody who threatens physical violence and you don't take strong measures to terminate the patient and keep them away from your practice, even up to the point of getting a restraining order, if they come back and they do commit some kind of physical violence, then you could be liable for the damages because you knew that they were violent. They, you knew they had tendencies. They, they threatened you and you didn't do anything to stop it. Um, so it's important for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which being the, the safety of your own staff and your, your other patients. So you've got documentation now of, of behaviors that are, um, that are not acceptable. Uh, do you have, do you as the orthodontist have an in-person meeting with this individual? Do you do it when they come in for an appointment or do you do this separately from a regular uh, appointment time? Yeah. I think if we separate the, separate out the, 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 the extreme, the violent that we just talked about, and then come back down to what is probably more common, which is, uh, maybe a parent who's just who yells at the staff. It doesn't get physically violent or anything like that, but they're just they're unpleasant to work with. They unnerve other patients or something like that. Then you document the behavior. You have a meeting with them, with a member of your staff present, at least one member of your staff present as a witness, mm-hmm. and you document and you show them the documentation and you say this this behavior is not going to be tolerated. If it continues one more time, this is it. One more time, we're going to terminate you as a patient. Is it necessary for an orthodontist uh, to have an out like this on termination in the contract that is signed by the orthodontist and by the patient prior to treatment? Mm -hmm. It it helps. It certainly helps. And as a matter of fact, the AO's uh, model patient contract, which we are actually, as as we talk, in the process of of revising a little bit and and making sure that it takes takes into account some of the... um, circumstances that are that we're hearing about coming around more often um, in the last few years one of those provisions is that you can terminate if there is lack of cooperation with the doctor and i think certainly belligerence and violating basic rules of decency and civility can be considered an uncooperative patient so the way the AO's model contract is right now, I think you could certainly say you're not being cooperative and we are terminating based upon that that uncooperative nature. Well, of course, if you had a practice attorney, you could consult that individual <laughs> yeah, as well. Exactly. Well, let's go on to another situation. Uh, this is a patient uh, who is telling the orthodontist what he or she thinks the orthodontist should do in treatment. And uh, this... Uh, uh, unsolicited advice is contrary to the treatment plan. What should an orthodontist do? Yeah, and not coincidentally, these two issues are often similar. It, it's usually the belligerent patient or parent who is trying to direct the treatment, even when it's not. It, you, you just don't allow the patient to direct treatment. You're the expert. You're the one who is in charge of the treatment. Uh, you went to school for an extra two to three years after dental school to become an expert in orthodontics you are the one who's in charge of the treatment. So do not let the patient tell you where they want which tooth moved or how they want their jaw lined or anything like that. If they are not happy with your treatment plan and the way your treatment is progressing, then you can inform them that there are plenty of other options uh, to continue their orthodontic treatment at other offices, and you're happy to give them a referral to four or five other offices if they like, but you're not going to allow them to direct your treatment. Nothing good ever comes from that. Amen to that. Kevin, that's a very fascinating uh, in, in areas of information, and I suspect that there is 
more uh, that people can find out through the AAO website, aaoinfo.org, in the legal and advocacy section. Um, there are uh, something like 20 mm-hmm. uh, legal questions and answers and a lot of other great information. I, I just took a peek before we started recording. A contract guide, a practice uh, coverage agreements area, collection policies and procedures, and there was a lot more on the mm-hmm. website. It's available seven days a week, 24 hours a day. 365 days a year, 366 in the case of leap years. <laughs> so uh, if you uh, if you have uh, some questions and you don't have a practice attorney, or even if you do, uh, but you need a quick answer, uh, that chances are there's something on the, the member website that can assist. Well, that's going to be a wrap for Episode 10 of the Business of Orthodontics podcast. Thanks to Kevin Dillard, AAO's General Counsel, for sharing your advice with AAO members once again. Join us for future podcasts as AAO experts explore questions and issues that are important to you in your orthodontic practice. If you have subject areas you'd like addressed on a future podcast, please email them to info at aaortho.org or call 800-424-2841. This is Pam Paladin. Thanks for listening to the Business of Orthodontics podcast, episode 10.